Good morning, guys. Uh, we're going to jump back into our Acts series, and I will tell you guys, um, if it seems like I'm kind of glued to my notes today, it's because I am glued to my notes today. Um, I had a direction and a message prepared, and um, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, some conviction there, like I felt God calling me to um, change some things, um, honestly change some of the personal experience stuff I had in there and just bring more of God's word so that we can grasp onto that and walk out of here and apply that things to our life. So um, I was in my warm little comfy co- comfy zone, that warm little tub, and now I'm in cold water. So bear with me. Um, let's just start off in prayer. Father God, we are so humbled and grateful to um, to have you, to have you as our provider, to have you as our source of comfort, to care for us, to nurture us, to help us grow back to the way that you designed us. So grateful to have each other in this room that we can lean on in times, each other that we can go to for guidance and um, comfort in our lives, so grateful for um, this building that you provided, everything that you provide for us. Father, just soften our hearts today that we can take a look introspectively at ourselves, we can find room for growth, and we can grab a hold of your word and walk out of here with it. We can grab a hold of it and apply it to our lives and apply it in a matter that we glorify you, we further your kingdom, we help others to know you and seek salvation to spend eternity with you. It's in your beautiful name I pray, amen. So the first two weeks Nick has been taking us through the book of Acts, we'll just do a little uh, catch up really. Um, in the first week, he went through Jesus instructing the, the apostles not to depart. Don't leave from there. Wait a minute. Hold up until you receive the promise. And they did that. They held back and they received the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he took us through last week. And he took us through uh, the Holy Spirit arriving on the day of Pentecost. He broke down what the day of Pentecost means for us, a great harvest. And then today... We're going to be a little further down in chapter 4, but we don't want to leave you what, uh, wondering what happened between there. So, um, like I said, we'll be in chapter 4, but just to kind of bring you up to speed what happened in there. In chapter 3, um, Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They're entering through the beautiful gate, and um, they see a lame beggar. He's asking him for money, and... Peter looks at him and is like, look at me, man. We don't got no money. We don't got no gold. We don't got no silver. He's all, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he stands up. He's excited. His legs are working again. I feel like he's got life back under him. And then um, there's all the people. It was the beautiful gate. It's the busiest gate at the temple. And that's where this miracle happened. So you have all these witnesses that just witnessed this amazing thing that happened. And Peter takes that opportunity to preach what we would call his first sermon. And um, 
So he's at, they're at Solomon's portico, and all these people, they're astounded looking on, and he says, now brothers, oh wait, let me skip back. And he addresses the people, and he says, why are you guys looking at us like we did something amazing? Like, why, like you're looking at us like it was our own power or deity that healed this man. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our father, glorifies his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder be granted to you. And you killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. To these we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you now see. And his faith and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man per- perfect health in your presence. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So now, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may, be, may come from the presence of the Lord. So he tells these guys, look, um, you guys chose to have the author of life crucified and have a murderer released. He says, basically he's telling them, you chose death over life. And it kind of reminds me of um, Adam and Eve in, in the garden. God says, look, there's all these trees here. You can eat from any of them. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That shall bring forth death. Uh, they made the same choice that these guys did, and they, they chose to kill the author of life as Adam and Eve chose to eat from that tree. So this will bring us up to today's text, and it'll be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. If you guys want to turn your Bibles there, um, if you don't have one, there should be a, one under the chair or around you somewhere. Take that home. That's a gift for you guys. We want you to always have access to God's Word. Acts chapter 4, starting in 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered in gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, who were all of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known that all of you... Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you have rejected, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, 
They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? A notable sign has been performed through them. It is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we, what we have seen and heard. And they, when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all who were praising God for what had happened, for the man whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And that's God's word. So, we got Peter here standing before the same people that had Jesus arrested and crucified. We got him standing before them saying, you killed him. You killed Jesus. You killed the Son of God. He puts Jesus' blood on their hands right there in that moment. And it's kind of amazing to see that Peter, of all people, is standing up to these people and putting Jesus' blood on their hands. And he's doing this because the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is one of the first instances we see in here of the persecution of Christians. And um, if we take a look at persecution a little bit more, um, the dictionary defines persecution as hostility, ill treatment, especially because of race, political, or religious beliefs. So if we break, break down persecution a little more, um, we see that the intent of a persecution is usually to stop something. Um, Martin Luther King, he was persecuted because he, he was trying to stop racism, and people didn't want to hear that at the time. Um, these guys are being persecuted for preaching Jesus. The religious leaders and elders, they don't want this to keep spreading. They want um, their um, religious policies and beliefs to be set. And they don't, they don't like me right now. They don't like being out of that comfort zone. They're not willing to open up to what is coming, happening right before their eyes. And so... Um, Peter and John are being persecuted before it. And we also know that persecution has two sides. The one side is dishing it out, and one side is receiving it. And we see here that when people believe in something, when they fully believe in something, they're willing to accept that persecution. They're willing to, to sacrifice um, themselves and put themselves at risk in order to show what they believe in. And that's what we see Peter here doing it. We see him standing up after being arrested and saying, look, you guys killed Jesus. This is whose name we're healing in. There's no other name that we're granted by which salvation can be gained. And it's kind of amazing to see him doing that. And like one of the things that makes me think of is at the beginning of the verses, um, right when they were getting arrested and getting hauled off, in verse 4 it said, and the number came to be about 5,000. 
So if you, if you take us and you put us in that situation, imagine um, Jesus had just been crucified and me, Nick, and Tony, and we're up here and we're telling you guys, and like if we did a miracle or a sign and we're telling you it happened by the name of Jesus, and the cops busted in the door. And they ran up here and they grabbed us and they throw us against the wall. Maybe me a little worse because I got a background. Nick and Tony might get treated a little better. But, <laughs> but say we're getting handcuffed and we're getting hauled off. Um, are you guys going to stand up and say, we believe. We believe in the Christ. It's amazing to see the treatment that they were getting at that moment. But the number came to be about 5,000. It's amazing to see Peter standing up to them in the first place and it's amazing to see Peter because he's underwent a change um I want to introduce you guys to a minute for to uh Peter but the Peter of before the Holy Spirit so one of the most illustrious personalities in the in the entire Bible is Simon Barjona commonly known today as Saint Peter the Apostle He's a very colorful character, a rough and rugged fisherman. He was always bursting with energy and action. During his first years under Christ's personal leadership and teaching, Peter often bulldozed his way around like the proverbial bull in a china shop. And whatever he thought was right or should be done, that's what he did, with little regard for the consequence. But by far the most outspoken of the apostles, Peter always said whatever was on his mind. However, he quite often seemed to contradict himself. Although he had a strong personality, his own wisdom, strength, and self-confidence often hindered him and caused him to make mistakes. But after Peter had followed Jesus a full three years, he underwent a tremendous and dramatic change, a transformation that what this story is all about. We begin at the closing hours of Jesus' ministry on earth, at the last supper that he ate with his disciples, only a few hours before his eventual crucifixion. Knowing that he would soon be crucified and suffer the death for his sins of the world, Jesus looked around on the disciples and said, sadly but fir firmly, you should be offended and you shall leave me. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Upon hearing this and overseeing his own faith and strength, Peter boldly proclaimed, though all men will desert you, I will not. But Jesus, knowing what was to come, answered him quietly and said, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter was shocked at such a prediction and even more adamantly said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But Jesus' prophecy was soon fulfilled. That very night, as Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying, a band of soldiers sent by the chief priests and elders came with a multitude carrying swords, clubs, and torches. They seized Jesus and all his disciples, filled with fear, fled for their lives into the night. As Jesus was taken away to the place of the high priest, Peter, trying to gather his courage, followed, but he followed from afar. Arriving at the palace, Peter stood by the door, hoping to see the court proceedings from a distance. A woman, a gatekeeper at the palace door, noticed a nervous and distraught figure and looking suspiciously at Peter, said, Aren't you one of this man's disciples? And he responded, no, I am not. Moments later, Peter stood warming himself by a fire which one of the night guards had made. Another woman said to the men who stood by, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. He is one of them. But Peter swore before them, I do not know this man. 
And the situation became more and more tense. Peter felt more and more uncomfortable. And suddenly, a man who had been present when Jesus was captured pointed out to Peter loudly and questioned him. Didn't I see you in the garden of Gethsemane with him? Again, Peter denied it. But others who stood in the crowd joined in saying, Surely you're one of them. We can tell by your accent. You're Galilean. And desperately, Peter began to curse and swear and deny Jesus. No sooner than he finished his denial than the rooster began to crow. And as the Lord was being led by his captor to another place, part of the palace, he turned and looked directly at Peter. Immediately, Peter recalled the words, Before the rooster crows, you have denied me three times. When he realized what he had done, Peter could barely control his grief. As tears began to well up in his eyes, he stumbled for the door and ran blindly into the night. Finally, in a deserted alley beneath the walls of Jerusalem, he sank to the ground and wept bitterly. So how do we go from denying Jesus three times to standing up in front of the same people that arrested him and putting Jesus' blood on their hands? The power of the Holy Spirit. The conversion, the courage that he gained in receiving the Holy Spirit and knowing what he had seen and what he had witnessed and what he had been told is true. The religious leaders at that time, they, they had one intent, and we will see it as a theme throughout the book of Acts, to squash the gospel of Jesus Christ to keep people from preaching in his name, from healing in his name, from sharing his message. And like Peter, we learned that the Holy Spirit changes us. It gives us power and courage. But what else can we learn from Peter? I'm glad you guys asked. I want to spend some time this morning. We're going to go over some lessons that we can take together as a church, some things that we can learn from Peter, and we can take them, grab a hold of them, apply them to our lives in furthering God's kingdom. Lesson number one would be, when Jesus calls, we answer. Peter and most of the other apostles, they were fishermen. And they spent a significant amount of their time at sea, bringing in their income. It was during working hours. We read, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. There's a great lesson that we can learn from this part of the book of Matthew. It's First of all, Jesus wants us to follow him. He calls on us to follow him. And that's one of the calls that we should answer in our lives. One of the other things that stands out in this part of it is the, the last sentence. They immediately left their nets and followed him. They left their nets. Do you guys understand that part? These guys, they were fishermen by trade. This is what they did. This is how they provided for their family. Those nets were everything to their comfort to their stability, to their lives, to providing for their loved ones, and they left them in the water. Without those nets, as far as fishermen, they were nothing. But as fishers of men, they, have, they, they had taken that moment, and they had a full change in their heart, and they decided to answer the call and follow Christ. When Jesus calls, we answer. Number two, 
God wants to develop a close relationship with us. And we see this from Peter. What's the purpose of Jesus calling Peter? Is it to make him a slave? Is it to simply make him an instrument to fulfill a purpose? Obviously not. When Jesus said, follow me, he was inviting Peter to live closer to him. Jesus wanted Peter to get more acquainted with him. He wanted to foster an intimate relationship. It would only be possible if he left and followed and spent time with him. In order to get closer to God and Jesus, you need to take the time and effort to build that relationship. And we do that by um, attending church services, getting involved in community groups, spending time with other believers, and most importantly, spending time in his word. Jesus wants us to be close with him. And, And by doing so, By doing so in those things, it draws us closer to God and it helps us in our Christian walk and it helps us in furthering God's kingdom and sharing that message with others. The third thing we'll see here is is God plays no favoritism. Um, it's It's worth noting that Jesus called Peter. He was in a place that we'd least expect. He wasn't walking through the temple. He wasn't walking through... Herod's palaces or courts. He wasn't walking where you would find um, the upright and astute people. He was walking by the sea. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he called out to a couple fishermen, uneducated fishermen on a boat, and said, come and follow me. We see that him walking by the sea shows that wherever we're walking in our lives, wherever we're at, whether... um, strapped up with a tool belt, whatever it is that you do, wherever you're at, whether you're in a rough patch, he plays, he plays no favoritism. He will call out to you. And like the first lesson we discussed, it's a call we should answer. Jesus called the fishermen to be part of his inner circle. In the standards of men, Peter and the others are no one, but to Christ, they were someone. At that moment, Peter had no idea how he and his companions would eventually change the world. But we read in 1 Corinthians, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, and even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. God shows no favoritism. One of the other things, the fourth thing that we can, we can learn from Peter is we need to be diligent in our work. I've mentioned before in this list that uh, Peter was a fisherman. He earned his living by catching and selling fish. We can see that Peter, he was a man of business. He is employed. He's not someone who is irresponsible and unreliable. He's diligent, hardworking, and industrious. If not, would Christ have chosen him? In fact, by the time that Jesus called Peter, he was actually doing work. In the same way, we as Christians today, we're called to work. We're not called to be lazy. We're called to use our abilities that God has given us and not to be a hindrance to someone else, but to use those in a way that we can be a blessing to someone else. The Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Timothy, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. The life of a fisherman is difficult. They're always accustomed to dangerous water. They're often wet, tired, cold. It's a laborious job. But being a fisherman has prepared Peter to become a disciple of Christ who knew how to endure the hardship. It's tiring. Um, Tony, Nick can tell you, um, all three of us having um, full-time jobs that we work and then our different ministries as well as Sunday service, um, it's hard work. It's tiring. I learned firsthand this week that mental exhaustion is a little bit tougher to get over than physical exhaustion. Um, laying in my bed for four hours doesn't refresh the mind like it does the body. We're called to work. Lesson five, Jesus is the son of the living God. Oh, how important this one is. In one discussion of Jesus with his disciples, he asked the question. It's in Matthew 16. He says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And the apostles answered that some people say that Jesus is John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or any of the prophets. However, Peter gave a powerful and remarkable answer. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In this point, Peter might not have been fully convinced with his answer, and we see how weak his faith was before his conversion, but nevertheless, he gave the right answer. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. Peter did not stop there. He confessed that Jesus is the son of the living God, not just any dumb, lifeless, created idol, but the living, almighty, and supreme God sent to us to receive salvation. Peter's statement elevated Christ's status. He is not just any prophet of old. Jesus is the greatest of any who have ever lived and died on the face of this planet. Why is it important to recognize Jesus' divinity? It's important because following Jesus de demands that you accept his claim, that you accept the fact that he is God in the flesh and that he is actually the son of God. With Peter knowing the fact that Jesus is indeed the son of the living God, Jesus made the pronouncement. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If we know and accept Christ as our life, then we are blessed. When we seek a personal relationship with our Creator, we just made the initial steps towards the kingdom of God. The next thing we look at is the foundation of the church is Jesus. We need to realize that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. It's not any man. It's not any human. It's not any one of us leaders. The, the head of the church is Jesus. We read that it says, it's, it's that same part of Matthew. It says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who in heaven. And also I say to you that Peter, and also I say to you, say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hate shall not prevail. Throughout the history of man we see how the church Jesus built was persecuted. Thousands of Christians have been persecuted and we see that trend continues and yet here we are. In spite of this we have seen how the church has prevailed. Satan might be mighty and powerful but he is not powerful compared to the mighty and living God. He's not powerful compared to to the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He, ha he holds no 
nothing over us that without Christ that we can't take on and we can't defeat. I know it's important for us as a church to have a leader, to have somebody to go to. But we have a leader, Jesus Christ. Don't ever skip that step. Take those things to him. And, and more often than not, I find myself when, when I'm in prayer or I have a problem and I just start babbling out loud and just getting things off my chest like the answer was in there. I just had to stir it up a little bit and bring it to the surface. And I don't find that I'm finding the answer myself. I find that God, through the Holy Spirit, is revealing that to me, that, that that's in there, and, and I knew the answer. And um, spending that time in prayer, spending that time digging at myself, I didn't have to immediately burden my wife or call Nick or Tony or Dave. And it was in there. I just needed to, to lay it at the cross, lay it at laid at Jesus' feet, and he helped reveal that to me. The next thing is we need to fully trust God's will in our lives. There's one instance when Peter was strongly rebuked by Christ, and it was the time when Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. In the mind of Peter, he can't comprehend how their master would suffer such a horrible death. It's unimaginable for him to witness the death of his master. Thus in Matthew, we say, Then Peter took him aside and began to... Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In our Christian walk, there's times when we can't understand the logic of God's commands. We can't understand the purpose of his plan. In this instant, Peter felt that Christ is making a mistake to die for his sins. Peter thought there might be a better way to make this work. He believed that there's a better way to save mankind. For this, Peter received a stern rebuke from Jesus. Remember earlier in it, he said, Simon Barjona, you are blessed. Now he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know the ways of God. You know the ways of man. Um, we need to trust in God's plan. It's, it's tough at times. We have, we have our flesh, we have our tendencies, we have our ways that we like the river to flow. We gotta trust in the currents that he puts us in. We gotta trust in the ways that he moves us. I actually, I have, um, I got a string or a hair or something driving me nuts. Uh, uh, that's not what I was going to tell you. But <laughs> um, I have this gentleman that works for me, and he is back and forth in his beliefs. And... Um, one minute he is saying, you know what, Chris, uh, you know, I, I want to accept him into my life. And then a few hours later at work, he'll say, but why would God allow this to happen? Or why would he let me go through this? Or, and like, there's only one answer that I could give him is I don't know. There's no way my little finite mind could ever start to understand the infinite possibility of God's plan. Like, shoot, I can't even be a doctor because I can't figure out how the human body works. Like, he designed it so intricately that there's, there's just nothing I could tell him, but I don't know, man. All I can do is trust in God's plan. And that's comforting to me. Like, to imagine that we're worshiping a God and we were able to figure everything out and know why he did things, that would be scary. 
The next thing we want to look at is we got to be willing to learn. We got to be willing to learn. P- Peter is among the disciples of Jesus Christ, and and disciple. And I learned this at youth camp last year, so this was something new. Um, disciple came from the Greek word mathetes, which literally means a learner. Uh, Jesus called Peter a disciple and to obtain necessary knowledge, wisdom, and understanding and be an effective preacher of the gospel, he had to learn. And it's not just learning something about him. It's immersing himself in his teaching, learning everything about him, spending three years with him to learn. Tudor's calling Peter lived up to be a disciple, a learner, and a a pupil of Jesus. Because we read in the Bible that on different occasions, Peter was showing his eagerness to learn. In Luke it says, And Peter said to him, Lord, are these words said to us only or to all men? He's asking questions. He's learning. Then in Matthew he said, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I will forgive him? Till seven times? Then Peter said, in Ma- also in Matthew, Then Peter answered and said to him, declare unto, the, declare unto us this parable. And lastly, he, as he sat on the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked privately, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the signs of these things. Today we're called to be disciples of Jesus. We're called to be learners. We must live a life of learning because it's a lifelong process. And we do it by going to other believers, asking questions. When questions arise in our mind, going to the Bible and seeking out God's answers, becoming a disciple, learning everything about Jesus. One of the things that we learned from Peter, which is probably one of the um, things that stuck out to me the most, is um, we live by faith, not by sight. One of the most well-known stories of Peter is when he walks on water to meet Jesus. So they're in a boat. The water's thrashing around. And they look out and they think they see a ghost. And and Jesus tells them, no, no, take it easy. It is I. It is I. And Peter says, if it is you, Lord, call me out of the boat onto the water to walk to you. And he gets out. And he's walking on water. And he's got his eyes on Jesus. And then when the wind starts to blow and the wind starts to flash around, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks and he immediately calls out, save me, save me. He was walking by sight, not by faith. It was at that moment when he broke eye contact with Jesus that he fell into water. We have to remember as a church that the things that are unseen or more powerful than the things that are seen. He wanted to come to Jesus so bad that there, and that's something we got to desire. However, living the Christian life, it's not always smooth sailing. It's not always a life without trouble. It's unexpected, and we're going to face troubles and challenges and problems along the way. At first, Peter was able to walk on the water, and that's an amazing feat that we might also experience when we first decide to follow Christ. But Peter's attention was diverted by a raging wind. In the same way, ours might be diverted from Christ in the storms of life. We come, we face things, we 
face struggles. We face just the things that we enjoy, the things of the flesh that will pull us away from the word of God. And we lose sight. The last one and the most important one. It's a profound lesson that we learned from Peter. And it's that our repentance should bring a change. Our repentance should bring action. Peter is known to be the disciple who denied Jesus three times. His betrayal of Jesus is so serious that it was recorded in all four of the Gospels. When Jesus predicted his death, Peter said, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Yet when push came to shove, Peter denied Jesus, not just once or twice, but three times. After Peter realized how, the betray- how he betrayed his master, he went and wept bitterly. There's no, ma- no doubt that he felt remorse. He, he ran out. He was crying. He was sorrowful, but he repented. But we know that... Th- We know that just being sorrowful isn't enough. Judas also betrayed Jesus. Both Judas and and Peter both felt sorry for their mistake. But there was one difference between the two. Peter changed. Peter repented and turned away from that, and he changed. It's a powerful illustration of repentance. We could feel all the remorse, all the regrets of our actions, and weep all we want. But if feeling sorry and feeling sorrowful doesn't change us, doesn't force us, doesn't urge us to turn away from those actions, it's all for nothing. I want to point out how the Apostle Paul described true repentance in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief reduces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Where God, worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but what also eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. In the short, repentance is more than just being sorry. It's a process of asking for forgiveness and turning away from our actions. As we can see, Peter isn't perfect, but he's a great source of life's life's lessons to us. Um, We can see two different Peters here. We see the the outgoing, um, shoot off at the mouth, um, rumbling around, scared. Denying Jesus. And then we see Peter with the Holy Spirit. We see him standing up for his friends after healing a lame beggar. We see him saying, you guys put the blood on your hands. You killed the author of life. And um, one of the reasons I point out all all of these things that we can take is because, like Peter, we, we make a lot of mistakes. And they're not mistakes that we can't turn away from. And one of the mistakes I don't ever want us to um, make is missing out 
on an opportunity. And the reason I want us to understand the courage that he received after receiving the Holy Spirit is because there's going to be opportunities when we're out here and we're going about life and God is going to place someone in our past. He's going to place someone in our past that needs to know that Jesus died on the cross for them, that it's through his name they can be saved and that they can receive salvation and then spend eternity with heaven, in heaven with him. Um, I want to tell you guys about a friend of mine. Um, I grew up with her since we were little kids. And about three years ago when um, I first got clean and started coming to Gospel Community Church and harnessed a relationship with Christ, I seen that she was struggling, that she was struggling with addiction. And um, there was an opportunity where I, I kept feeling the prompting of, I just need to share with her what has worked for me. I need to share that there's a Christ-centered recovery group at our church that was happening at the time. I need to share with her that um, I didn't have to go through the struggle on my own. I didn't have to fight that battle. But I let fear get in the way of telling that. And um, I passed on that opportunity. And now, after knowing this story, now after realizing that the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can harness that and I can take that courage and it's not about me, it's about someone's salvation and it's about eternity, now I'm like, let's go. I need to tell her this message. She died last year. I don't, I don't get that opportunity. And last night, I, like, I was praying uh, on what I could say to help us understand the importance of telling somebody about Jesus. And um, I feel God speaks to me in my dreams. And I had a dream last night about her. And um, the dream didn't go like the story I just told you. The dream went the other way. And I shared, I shared Christ with her. She found salvation. She found recovery. And in my dream, she was up in East Carbon raising her two little boys. And I, I don't let that weigh me down. I'm not saying it's my fault. I'm not saying uh, anything would have changed. But I would have tried, and I could have tried. Um, let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to have your Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that defeated death, and sin. We're so grateful that we don't have to blindly stumble around. We don't have to go through life on our own. We don't have to muster up all of the strength and courage with, without a source. We're so grateful that you are the source. So grateful to come here today to share in your word to see some things that we can take from Peter and we can grab a hold of those and we can apply them in our lives. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.